Can you tell us about the um, the print at the top? Yeah, it looks like really warm clothing and um, lined with some sort of white or lighter coloured fur. It looks like their hoods are able to be tight around the face as well and also sort of closed off near the ankles. Everyday attire from a completely different part of the world uh, would have really made them think, well, you know, why do they need that much clothing? It must be unbelievably cold. And I think that's indicative of like, this is a completely different culture. I'm Sue Berman. And I'm Benjamin Brooking. And this story is about a unique poster that was printed in Rarotonga in 1849. This poster was made to introduce the people of Rarotonga to the Sami people, who are indigenous to the far north of Scandinavia. One thing that's useful to know before jumping into this episode is that we focused on just one of 11 posters in this poster series from the Grey Pamphlet Collection. And you can learn more about the collection by watching The Pepper Trail, printing in Rarotonga in our video series Ngako, The Collections Talk. As with all our stories, you can find images of the items we're discussing on our website. And as with everything in our collection, these items are also available for you to view in person. Kia ora na koutou katoutoua. Uh, my name is Liam Kokoua. Uh, this is Pepa 9. It is one of a series of at least 11 Pepa that we know of. And they were all printed in Rarotonga in 1849. These posters are close to A3 in size. To be precise, they're 45 centimetres by 29 centimetres. Although in really good condition, considering they are single leaf pieces of paper and ephemeral in nature, you can tell that they're over 160 years old by the colouring of the paper, which is yellowed with some foxing. For those of us who don't know, what is foxing? Ah, well, you may have seen this in old books. Foxing's an age-related process of deterioration that causes spots and browning on paper. Let's hear more about this particular poster from Liam. The paper sort of seems to be glued together in multiple places just to sort of make a larger poster. So it's definitely got like an antiquated look. You know, we're, we're used to seeing all the you know, like colour images and I know really sharp printing, whereas, you know, you can see a little bit of imperfections here and there. Obviously, just the, um, the ink not being um, fully offloaded. But I can only imagine at that time this was very impressive to behold. E pukitangata Lapland teia, ko te tuia o to rato kakau, e mea kiripuaka tuia, te te pai tokero i Europe. I guess it's more of a social studies theme, and it's talking about the inhabitants of Lapland, basically the Sami people of Northern Europe. A puke tangata, in this context, a puke is referring to a couple of people. Above the headline of the poster is a printed etching of two people between the words puke and tangata. The image is of a Sami man and woman dressed for polar conditions in traditional leather and fur hooded jackets and boots. The first label says e tane, and the second one says e vaine, which means man and woman. Can you tell us about the um, the print at the top? Um, yeah, it looks like really warm clothing and um, lined with some sort of white or lighter coloured fur. Yeah, it's definitely some sort of uh, animal skin. I can't say for sure because it says um, puaka, typically translated as pig, but it could have actually meant any sort of quadruped. Not as big as a horse, but bigger than a cat. 
they might even be referring to seal skin, um, which is, I guess, technically not a four-legged animal, but um, animals of that sort of size and appearance. It looks like their hoods are able to be tight around the face as well. And the woman's clothing in particular looks quite um, well padded and also sort of closed off near the ankles. What do you think when you see these images? I quite like how they're so faceless as well. It's such an interesting image to have chosen to put there. Everyday attire from a completely different part of the world uh, would have really made them think, well, you know, why do they need that much clothing? It must be unbelievably cold. And I think that's indicative of like, this is a completely different culture. Even though they're in Europe, they are not of the culture of the Europeans that we've been seeing for the last sort of 30 years or so. E enua anu maata to rato, their lands are very cold. Takiono marama totione ngarumianga ia itikiona. So for six months, you can no longer see the soil because it's covered in snow. So kiona is snow. The word kiona? Yep. Is that a very common word? Is that like used these days? Do you know, have you, is, it obviously needs explanation in this poster, but mm. um, is that a known word now? Um, it is. Kiona, I have heard it before. Uh, it's not used much. I think it might have come from Greek, but I have heard it a bit. Vaitoka would just be like water stone or you know, hard stone. So like that's a more direct translation of um, ice. That's interesting. Do you, do you think the word kiona then was being introduced? I mean, in the way that it's also emboldened and then explained, were they just, do you think the the printers of this were getting together and being like, okay, well, we need a word for this. It's, it's awesome. going to be this one. Nah, I think um, it appears in the Bible too. And by this point, everyone was like able to read the Bible by heart, basically. So like they would have known that kiona is snow uh, from the Bible. Now we get into the description of what snow is. E apinga tia tia te kiona, te topa me runga mai te rangi. So snow is a white object which falls from up high in the sky. Me te uruuru moa te tu. So similar to the feathers of a chicken. If you think about a feather sort of floating down from the sky, then, you know, that's what snow is sort of it's so creative (laughs) (laughs) the last line here so for six months the sun uh, disappears below the horizon it's basically what they mean by tai here for people that live so close to the equator they don't have any experience of obviously snow or this long period of darkness that people in high latitude see. So um, we barely even have seasons and we definitely have the sun shining for generally the same amount of time every day. So perhaps um, this poster would have led to deeper discussions with uh, their missionary teachers about why did the sun actually disappear for six months? Uh, and why is the snow covering their lands the Lapland people's lands for six months of the year and not the other six months. Um, thoughts or discussions around, well, what do they do for those six months? You know, they pretty much would stay inside, I think. And they would have had to have accumulated, you know, a lot of food to last them throughout uh, that period to have their firewoods or 
everything like that. So I can only guess that you know this might have led to a lot of interesting conversations about geography, about the existence of other peoples who weren't a part of these large empires that had so far been the only uh, non-Indigenous people to visit the region. Can we talk about um, who would have made this? I think Aaron Buzzacott was in charge of the printing around this time, uh, and that would have been based at Takamoa Theological College. Uh, he was a missionary with the London Missionary Society, come from England and had been based mostly in Rarotonga. I've heard Aaron Buzzacott's name being used a lot in relation to the printing press. Maybe he was the one that first uh, brought the first press over from Huahine. But yeah, there's also reference that someone had visited the island and noted that a lot of the printing work was being done by locals, local Māori people who had been trained in how to use them and that they were very diligent in that work. Uh, so, yeah, it's most likely that this was printed by local Māori people on Rarotonga because we know that Aaron Buzzacott wasn't on the island uh, in 1849. And, yeah, what we don't know is whether they chose to uh, come up with these stories themselves uh, because they thought it was important or whether the, um, they were just told, look, we, we want you to print these words because we think this is important for your children and, and students to learn. Rare books, they can be very, very old. Sometimes they were made to be really special, or sometimes they're just like a ticket or a poster, which is kind of the family that the paper we're looking at come from, because they are what rare books librarians call ephemera, which means something that isn't expected to last, which is really what makes this so very exciting. Jane Wilde is a rare book specialist who has done some additional research on the provenance and history of the pepper. The Reverend Aaron Buzzacott, it's sort of like his job as a missionary was to basically convert, but to do that he really had to make resources, and so the resources were the written word. And the goal was to basically get, get everybody as literate as they could and, and there's some phenomenal statistics in his writing about how, you know, they'd have classes for adults, for children, every day. And by the 1850s, the level of writing and reading was really high. And it talked about how the boys were really um, good at astronomy. They were good at geometry. They were incredibly well um, educated. And so what, I, what I've um, found with the paper is that each one of these, they're either becoming a bit of a lesson or they're telling a bit of a story. And sometimes it's um, basically like grammar and teaching you know, the alphabet, but it's also about the printing press. So I'm kind of wondering whether the team of Cook Island men who were actually trained to do some of the printing, whether they made these posters um, as things to really communicate what they felt was important to share. And I guess the other interesting thing was just seeing how the ephemeral poster, which is something that hardly survives, has survived. And there's been lots of touch points where it could have actually disappeared. 
and we've been able to kind of see the danger of what happens to something when it goes into a library, when it goes into a different collection, when collections move, and every stage of those processes, um, things can go wrong. And we've seen things getting disbound and bound and you know, put into different places. And so with the paper, they, they number up to at least 11. So we're just kind of thinking, what happened to the other ones? And we've been able to do the kind of librarian research on things like WorldCat, where you can look something up, um, that's like the first line of something, and you find things that I thought were gonna be related to the paper series, we find that they're actually in incongruous places like South Africa and Harvard Library in Boston. And they're the only two copies in the world. And we find there's nothing much in Rarotonga because the paper doesn't survive in the environmental state um, where you're getting um, humidity, flooding, and things that, that actually affect paper. So it's, it's been a kind of amazing um, investigative process. We can't necessarily get the real answer about what happened um, when this was printed and what happened after, but we can get some clues along the way. So um, the more we've been able to work with people who do understand them, the more I'm kind of appreciating about the context of the time they were made, who they were made for, maybe who they were made by, and yeah, a sense of the place that they came from, which um, is, yeah, it's a real privilege to be able to do that. I think these are, you know, they're unique, so they are really, really special. Rarotonga was the, was the sort of hub of Christianity in the Cook Islands and sort of the Pacific to an extent uh, for a while. John Williams first arrived to uh, Aitutaki in 1821, so that was the first arrival of Christianity. Um, and then he took some people who had been kidnapped by an earlier European vessel, which was the Cumberland, in 1814. And so they were the ones that showed John Williams where to go to find Rarotonga. 1823 is perhaps when the um, missionary Papeha was dropped off in Rarotonga. So he's from Tahiti. So it was actually the Tahitian missionaries that first Christianized everybody. And then people like Aaron Buzzacott came along uh, a few years later. Yeah, Rarotonga was Christianized pretty quickly. And then uh, a lot of our own people were trained to be missionaries and they would then go work in the islands further to the west, so the frontier kept being pushed back. You know, Samoa was the next after the Cook Islands, and eventually um, into Melanesia, which was sort of like the last frontier, and a lot of uh, Cook Islands missionaries served in places like Papua New Guinea. So yeah, sort of like this poster and the set of pepper also sort of remind me of that important role that the Rarotongan and Cook Islands Māori missionaries had in the broader Pacific region in terms of like spreading uh, the gospel and you know acting as teachers uh, in their own right you know in, in other islands so you know often the missionaries uh, whether they were in Samoa or uh, Melanesia you know were the teachers of all the people too so you know this sort of content might have 
been what um, sort of taught that first generation of um, Cook Islands missionaries before they were posted to other parts of the Pacific. Now we just take it for granted that we're so aware of so many different cultures that exist in the world today, so many different climates and continents. You know, this could be like hugely more meaningful or impactful for people who have lived in, you know, relative isolation for hundreds, if not thousands of years in the Pacific. You know, they have interaction with other people from other islands, but they live very similar lives on their islands with just slightly different dialects or, you know. Generally, they all had access to the same uh, materials, whether it's the plants to make the tapa cloth, the coconuts and um, taro and other plants for subsistence. So there wasn't really any huge cultural shocks whenever they used to meet people from other islands. And obviously the first big cultural shock was just meeting uh, the Europeans from the French and uh, British uh, navies and initially and then the missionaries. You just have to sort of like think about it. This is probably a lot more revolutionary and just profound than it is to us reading this. I mean, for us, we appreciate it mostly just because of the age and because of the novel ways of explaining what snow is. But for them, it would, could have been just like mind-blowing, like, wow, these people live in a way that's nothing like us. We made a video about the Pepper Collection, which is available online and called The Pepper Trail, printing in Rarotonga. This pepper, Pepper 9, wasn't included in that story, but we thought it was so interesting that we wanted to have a longer chat about it. You can find a list of references for this episode in the published notes, or get in touch with us by emailing libraryresearch at aucklandcouncil.govt.nz, and we'll make sure you can find the collection of your interest. Thanks to Liam Kokaua for sharing his knowledge and understanding of the words and context of this pepper, and Jane Wilde for your added insights. The series is made with Auckland Library's content creation funding and is part of a wider series that includes short films titled Narco, The Collections Talk and available to view online. This episode was written and produced by me, Sue Berman. It was recorded and produced by me, Benjamin Brooking. And edited and engineered by me, Juliana Machado. This has been Narco, The Collections Podcast, learning about Lapland and Rarotonga. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear the rest of this series and more from Auckland Libraries.